This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Right. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we have ushers coming down the aisle. I want you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you today, go ahead and take one. You can use it during the service and return it, or you can have it. We'd love to give out Bibles, but Bibles are being distributed. And I hope you get there. Matthew chapter 5. I uh, brought this glass, glasses cleaner, you know, to, to kind of wipe off the smudges on my glasses. But I started thinking, you know, if I need to work you guys up or something, I can start kind of doing this while I preach, kind of working in my hand, kind of waving it around. So, hey, this might work, huh? Some of you have been praying about this for years, you know, you're like, all right, it's about to happen, you know? So anyway, Matthew 5, we started a series last week on uh, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is several chapters in the book of Matthew, some of the greatest words in all of literature and certainly more importantly in our faith. Jesus gave this from a mountain. Um, It could be that there's some symbolic meaning to that as Moses gave the first covenant on Mount Sinai and now the second covenant is coming down from Jesus. And this series... Uh, is highlighting some things Jesus told his followers and subsequently us. But in a twist, uh, we're looking at what he told us and then we're seeing those characteristics within him. Because Jesus, the good rabbi, Jesus, the teacher, we know this, an effective teacher doesn't just dispense information, right? A great teacher leads by example. So as we see these remarkable teachings In Matthew 5, uh, we're also going to see how Jesus is living this out in his life here on earth, and then now in the way he is ruling and reigning in his kingdom. So I want to invite you, if if you you want to or can, to stand with me uh, as we read the scripture. We just want to honor the scripture today, Matthew chapter 5, and you don't don't read out loud necessarily. You can listen to me as I read the first nine or ten verses here. And when, he sat, and when he saw the crowds, this is Matthew 5, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's pray together. Jesus, teach us and reveal more of who you are to us so that we could live our life in a pleasing manner. Thank you, you are the ultimate teacher. Uh, You give us the information and the principles we need. And then as our example and savior, uh, you live that out, you embody that. And you uh, are going to help us today. I know there's a lot of people who are sad today. And I, I want them to know that's okay with you. Because mourning is not something you're scared of 
We're so uncomfortable to mourn, but Jesus, you said we're blessed when we mourn. And help us to see the promise of eternity, of heaven, of everything you have for us, and just let it be so clear. And we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, would you say amen? Amen. All right, go ahead and find a seat. Uh, This is a really interesting, curious phrase, and we read it already, but we can look at it on the screen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The, The word blessed is the equivalent of happy. And so this doesn't really make sense, does it? Happy are those who mourn. That word mourn in the Hebrew is the strongest sense of guess what we would call negative emotion, like a, like a loud cry. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Doesn't make sense, does it? Blessed are those who ache on the inside. You know, I have that aching. Blessed are those who haven't forgotten when everyone else has moved on. Because that happens, doesn't it? Blessed are those who come to church and who act like everything is okay when inside they're dying. See, we, we live in a culture that we, we don't appreciate or feel comfortable with mourning. And we want people just to move on. The truth is that mourning is appropriate and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with mourning. And we need to understand that everyone will mourn a little differently. Some people do it immediately. Some people it's delayed. Others will do it in different ways. What you need to hear from God today is that, you know, you're blessed even if you're mourning. Because see, in our contemporary culture, we think, well, the blessed, you know, they, they don't have any problems, right? They don't have any concerns. They don't have any sadness. They don't have any level of depression. They don't have any darkness. They don't have any cloud over them. And I'm so glad that we serve a God who says to those of us who are mourning or who have mourned, which is all of us, or if we encounter a situation where we will mourn, we have a God that says, hey, it's okay. And you're gonna see today that he doesn't just say it's okay, that God has been in mourning too and is in mourning. And we find hope in that, we find comfort, and we find God in that. This last week was uh, really different, the last two out of three weeks in our community because of the ice storm. You know, the, the pace of life changed quite a bit, didn't it? Things are just really different. And I enjoyed it, you know, I, I hope you were safe and but it was nice to have a little more family time. It's kind of sad when it takes an act of nature for us to spend more time with our family, isn't it? But we did some of the stuff that you probably did with your family. You know, we hung out a little bit more, watched more sports, watched a little more TV. We actually attempted a puzzle. Wow, that's like historic in the Allison household. And... Um, you know, one night they bought a movie, or we bought a movie, I guess. It was one of those animated movies, and I think I've told you this before. I'm, 
really a failure as a dad when it comes to animated movies because if I go to the theater, I sleep through animated movies and if I watch one at home, I read, okay? I know all of you guys are like much better dads. Like you like sit there and watch all the Disney shows and, and you're good at that. I'm just not really effective when it comes to that. But we, we bought this movie um, called Big Hero 6 and now Beth is the opposite of me as the nurturing mom, because she doesn't just watch a movie. She lives in the two hours that the movie's there. Like she is like connected to the storyline, connected to the plot. Like the whole world is, you know, on hold while she's watching this movie. And so I'm reading and the family's watching the movie and uh, she kind of gasps and says, not again. She says, it always happens. Somebody dies in an animated movie. Isn't it true? You go see this kids movie that's supposed to make you feel good and some character dies and so somewhere along the way I don't know I'm not trying to be a spoiler of Big Hero 6 but someone died in the movie I don't know if it was a main character a part a a partial character I don't know who it was but pretty early on so it's okay Um, and and that's just what happens and uh, that was my daughter over there just scolding me in front of you all Um, I guess I did ruin part of the movie but I mean I remember like going to see Bambi. I was like seven years old. My grandma took me to go see Bambi. That thing wrecked me, man. I mean, Walt Disney is supposed to be, you know, a world of fun for kids, man. I was just like having an emotional breakdown in the movie theater because, you know, Bambi lost her. I'm not spoiling this movie too, am I? Have y'all seen that? All right. So here it is. We can't even watch animation without there being some kind of death some kind of death happening. And I guess it's kind of what life is like, right? I mean, as fun as life is and as meaningful as life is and all the great gifts we have from God, life and death are kind of happening simultaneously. And in my life, that's a big big part of my life because of the call God's put on my life. So on a monthly basis for sure, sometimes on a weekly basis, occasionally more than once a week, you know, I'm dealing with with death and, and the loss of people losing a loved one. And what it's done for me, I've lived a good life. I came from a good middle-class family and enjoyed my life. And, and um, being around death so much has taken away a lot of the shallowness of life because if you're not around that, life gets really superficial and shallow. But when you're with people, when they mourn, um, it, it lets you know your mortality. And you know, even, even speaking this from a pastoral standpoint, I mean, there's, in every section, there's a family here that, I've been with at, at, at some level uh, when they've lost someone. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's, part of, it's part of life, but it's not an easy part of life. And just because it's common doesn't mean it's easy. And it's not easy for the person going through it. And so it is that um, even if, when our greatest moments, like when things are all just like going really well and it's just a time of joy and happiness, there's like this awareness that, there's grief going on somewhere else. And that's just the world we live in. And here's what I want you to know is that um, death is not this distant thing that God's uninvolved in. And here's my first point today is Jesus mourns death. Jesus mourns death and he understands that death is really, really hard. And it's not just losing a loved one, even though that is like the top of the list, no doubt, a friend or somebody. But there's other types of death too. They may not be as, I don't know, as painful, but they are still 
really, really affect us. They still really affect us negatively. Like unemployment, for example, I mean, that's, a, that's a form of death. When you invested in a company or you invested in a job and then boom, it ends right there. And it's so odd, isn't it, that our work friends, like we you know, spend more time with our work friends with our, than with our family and then it can end so fast. You know, everything just ends really fast. And that's a type of death. Um, there's a death of relationships. I mean, that's the world I live in because I pastor people, love them, and then they mysteriously leave and then act like they don't know who I am in the grocery store. It's the craziest thing ever. It's like, these people, they love me and hug me. Oh, you're great, you're great. And then a month later, they like run from me in the grocery store. I'm like, sorry. Just, uh, you know, and, and I thought we were friends. You, know, you know, that's not, that's just how life is and that's how it applies to me, but it applies to you too when relationships just end, right? There's just a death of relationships. And I, I, I have a hard time with that because I, I hang on to relationships maybe too long. You know, I've had to learn to let them go, let them go. I'm not gonna sing the song, but it's, you're humming it too. <laughs> it's a theme song of my ministry now. Let them go and bring them in, Lord. Um, so then there's death of dreams, right? I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, really, any dream that's not of heaven or not attached to heavenly rewards will die some way at some time. And that's kind of hard too. Well, here's the great thing we know is that Jesus, uh, who was God, chose to empathize with us. He didn't have to, but he chose to. We talked about that last week, but there's a story in the Bible in John chapter 11 that just makes this so clear to us. John chapter 11, and we can read the story. It says, now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Isn't that an amazing phrase? You know, it just, he didn't have to even describe the one you love is sick. So there's obviously a close relationship between Jesus and Lazarus. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this is interesting, the sickness will not end in death but it's for the glory of God. Now, let me just say, we're not going to look at the end of the story, but in case you've not heard the story or need a refreshing, Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead. But this is really interesting to me because here he being the personification of God or God himself, not, he is God. He knows a couple of things. He knows that he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. And he also knows that this earth is temporal, right? I mean, heaven is the real deal. He's God. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth and um, is preparing a place for us and is doing that. So he knows all of that. And it says that Jesus loved Martha, his sister, and Lazarus. So we go on and Jesus doesn't hurry to get there. He continues to minister and Lazarus dies. So we go on now to verse 32, I believe it is. It says, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, come and see. And then we see these powerful two words. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. In fact, I remember when I was supposed to recite verses to my grandma 
that was a verse I would say, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. So that's a good trivia, a trivia question you can answer. But in the midst of this little factoid about scripture is a powerful statement. Now, remember the scripture that I told you earlier. Jesus knew that God was gonna be glorified. And he had knowledge that we don't even have. I mean, eternal knowledge and God-like knowledge. Yet, he still wept. He still wept at the loss of his friend. That is amazing to me that there are still the human emotions. What does that help us understand? It helps us understand this, that even when we have understanding of scripture, an understanding of eternity in heaven, that it's still okay for us to mourn. Okay, even when we hear those things, kind of platitudes sometimes of like, well, they're in a better place or God has a better job for you or, and we know it's true and it's good to hear and we need to hear it and all that. It's still okay to be sad a little bit. Is that helpful to you to understand that? We don't have to be fake. We don't have to be phony because Jesus mourns death. He mourns death that, is causing negative things to happen all around us. Death of dreams, death of relationships, and then uh, just our death of this earthly life. Jesus is sad with us. He's sad with you. And some of you need to be okay with your mourning. And you're okay with that. And there's great hope attached to your mourning with Jesus. Because here's, here's the truth. Death is powerful. And it's all around us. We deal with it all the time. I told you, I deal with it all the time. And then we deal with it on a really intrinsic uh, kind of personal level of all these different relationships, these different types of of opportunities, whatever, goals, dreams that die. And so we're always dealing with this and dealing with this. But here's here's what I want you to understand. As God's people, as people of the word, of people of the scripture, that death doesn't have the final word. Death is not going to be victorious in the end. Death doesn't rule at the end of the day, at the end of the era, at the end of the age. Jesus does. We find out a lot about Jesus in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at three different passages through this teaching today. But look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. This is, a, this is incredible. You understand the power of Jesus in your life. It says, I saw him. John wrote this. I fell at his feet as a dead man. He had laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. Look at this. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do you know what keys symbolize? It symbolizes authority. It symbolizes access. I mean, you understand that whoever has keys, they control the building, right? Jesus has the keys to Hades, what we commonly call hell, this place of of separation from God. He holds the keys. We're not victim to hell and to Hades. And he holds the keys to death, even though death has its place today. And we feel its effects and we feel its negative ramifications. Death doesn't have the final word. Death does not control us. Through Jesus, Jesus has authority over death. He has the keys. And so it's okay for us to mourn death today because Jesus mourns death. But we don't mourn 
as the scripture tells us, like the world mourns. Because death won't have the final word. Death won't have the victory. Death will not control us because we serve the one who has the keys over death and Hades. And he is the one. And if he mourns, it's okay for us to mourn because in the end, we know death won't win. Jesus will win. And Jesus will have the victory. And I praise God for that. When I was in Haiti, one of the interesting things that happened in that that country that is underdeveloped is that when people drove to my memory and to what I saw at the time, there weren't stop signs and there weren't red lights. I mean, it was just every man or woman for themselves. People chose a certain side of the road, but they would come to intersections. And well, from what I can remember, I mean, there may have been six or seven roads that converged in this one spot in Port-au-Prince. And there was no regulation there, no rules uh, no sense of order. And so what did you have? You just had a whole bunch of angry people honking their horns. I mean, it was like the loudest sound ever, just honk, 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 all the time honking their horns. Uh, India was a little bit the same way. I mean, they, they had the red lights and things of that nature, but it was just every man for himself, just blaring out, out when I went to India last year, just hearing horns happen people honking their horns constantly, constantly, constantly. And thinking about Haiti, it just reminds me that when there's not rules and regulations and standards and leadership, things are just chaotic. Things just are chaotic without leadership. Uh, When I have participated or shown up to volunteer like at school events, some church events and, and past church experiences or civic events in our neighborhood, I show up at these gatherings of people and I can tell in about 30 seconds whether anyone is in charge or not. Uh, Because a lot of people kind of have this attitude of like, eh, let's just get people together and let's just see what happens. You know, just just show up and see what happens. And what happens is this, is all the friendly people talk and all the servants work. So if no one's in charge, I figure out really fast that either I'm gonna do one of two things. I'm gonna step it up and lead or I'm going to disappear really fast. Because without a leader, it's just chaos. It's just people just mulling about. I mean, and nothing's going to happen until a leader steps up. Nothing's going to happen until a leader asserts himself. Leadership is really a gift. And this world needs more leadership. And I believe Jesus, and you're going to see in Scripture, mourns a lack of leadership. That's the second thing. He mourns a lack of leadership. And I understand the word leadership can means something negative to you if you've been hurt by a leader, abused by a leader, controlled by a leader. But I'm talking about leadership in its purest intention where a group of people are getting stuff done. And as long as men and women are leading under their authority, leadership is always gonna have some level of corruption. That's why this world needs a leadership uh, from the throne of God. This world needs Jesus to lead, and that's what's going to happen. Look at the heart of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. I love this phrase here. And when he saw the crowd, he felt compassion for them. Let's stay there for a second. Do you know the word compassion is really important there? Because compassion doesn't mean you just feel sorry for someone. Compassion means you feel something that evokes a response. 
So Jesus felt compassion. When you, when you see a need and you're like, I've got to do something about this. And let's see what Jesus saw. Moving on in the narrative, it says, they were weary and worn out. Look at this phrase, like sheep without a shepherd. Can I tell you, when you're part of an environment where there's not leadership, people just get worn out and nothing really happens. Uh, he, he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. I mean, we need leadership. And I believe that Jesus grieves a lack of leadership because uh, the sheep need shepherds. And he is the true shepherd. And he wants to lead his people. And can I tell you that Jesus wants to lead this church? He really does. You know, one of our greatest tasks as leaders of this church is to make sure Jesus is leading the church. I get asked this question a lot. Christians, you, you guys have gotten a lot more sophisticated, you know? So I've been asked this question, what's the vision of the church? Okay, and I can give you a really good answer. In fact, I've actually coached other pastors, church planners. This is the vision. This is how you develop a vision. This is what you do and all that. But you know, here's the real truth. I don't really know what's gonna happen three years from now or five years from now. Who, who in the world knows what our country's gonna be like five years from now, right? So, you know, I can give you a plan and I pray about that plan and I think I'm a good leader, but Jesus is leading his church. I mean, Jesus wants to take a group of people and say, who can we be? I mean, who is he gonna make us? I I think he desires that and he wants that so bad and we have to let him do that. And so if we've gotta do that as a people, man, you gotta do that as an individual. Jesus wants to lead you. He wants to form your values Jesus wants to um, shake up some attitudes in you that don't please him. Jesus wants you to sacrifice whatever that means to you in a way uh, that, that is indicative of the life that he lived. Jesus wants you to show love and kindness um, at levels that may be outside of your own personal ability to produce. He, he, the life of Jesus wants to produce for you. And Jesus mourns, man. He, he, I, he mourns bad leaders, Jesus mourns ruthless dictators. Jesus mourns corrupt politicians. He mourns greedy bosses and controlling spouses. Jesus mourns loan sharks and pimps and unloving pastors. He mourns bad leaders and he wants great leaders. Matthew 23, verse 37 through 39, you see the heart of Jesus. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. What a tender phrase. And then he goes on, yet you're not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is Palm Sunday and even has more ramifications than that. I, I know this is that we have yet to see on this planet, we've yet to see with our eyes what happens when Jesus is in charge. But someday we're gonna see it. We're gonna see it in a way we can't even imagine. We're, we're gonna see what it's like when leadership isn't corrupted, when leadership isn't greedy, when leadership isn't oppressive, when leadership isn't self-serving, when leadership doesn't take advantage or squeeze the life out of people, but leadership serves and gives and is pure and is righteous and is holy. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. We're gonna get a lot of revelation 
from the book of Revelation. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and this is something that will happen in the future. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, this is gonna encourage you, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Isn't that a hopeful word for us? There's coming a day where Jesus is going to be in charge. I mean, he's already king of kings and lord of lords in the heavenly, but he's going to assert his rule and reign, and we're going to see what it's like to have King Jesus be in charge of this whole universe and and assert his rule and reign, and it's going to be uh, something that is pleasing and becoming, and it's going to show the greatness of who he is, and I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. And until that day, there's a mourning. Jesus mourns this lack of leadership, but guess what? For those of us who mourn a lack of leadership, we're gonna be comforted. We're gonna be comforted when we see Jesus rule and reign. You know, something that I know you have seen through a television drama, or maybe you've seen this through like a news program that profiles uh, a certain person, a criminal. You've seen it when a young person commits a crime in which that crime is going to have consequences. You know, it's true that all young people do dumb dumb things and that's not to excuse them or it's not to improperly profile them. But you know, there's actually a part of adolescents' brains that have not developed that causes them to do risky behavior and causes them not to make good choices. I'm glad, Glenn, you're shaking your head yes because you're actually trained in this. So, uh, So there's something in adolescence that causes them just to do dumb stuff. So that's why I just want to encourage you, keep parenting your kids, okay? Keep parenting them. Keep asking questions. Keep having standards for them. Even if they're cool and all that, it doesn't matter. You know, keep keep asking those questions. And then the tragedy happens. The tragedy happens is when a young adult, a teenager, someone in their early 20s, uh, makes a decision that there has to be societal consequences too. Usually those decisions involve uh, violating someone else, violating humanity itself, violating the natural laws that all of us agree upon, doing something that's so heinous that it deserves incarceration. And we just have to do it. I mean, we have to, um, we have to have a punishment for these things that uh, affect us as humans so much. And so even though we would all agree upon that, it's still really sad. It's really sad to see a man or a woman, a young man, a young woman, uh, a teenager, or someone in their early 20s, make a wrong, sometimes evil decision, and then the rest of their lives, they're gonna be incarcerated. It's just sad to see. And what has happened, and you've seen it on TV shows that are kind of make-believe, but we can relate to art like that. Or you maybe have seen it on a news show that these, these adolescents don't get it. This sense of invincibility, they're like, well, you know, I did it and I guess I'll, I'll go to the big house, you know, I'll go to the prison, whatever the case is. But it's when their parents or grandparents or guardians are inserted into the situation. And then for those more mature people, oh man, the consequences just weigh on them, Right? consequences weigh on them because they know, hey, this means no college graduation. This means no career path. This means no vacation. This means probably no, no marriage and certainly no children. Um, and it's like the old movie. It's like the living dead in a lot of ways. 
And, and it breaks my heart. I, I, I see these youth detention centers in Davidson County where, where these young men have been on the news. It's just, it's like uh, wild. I mean, they're, 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 it seems hopeless. And with Christ, it's not hopeless, eternal, but the weight of the consequences of their choices, I mean, it, it, it dooms them for life. Now, you've seen that on TV and you've, you've experienced this on news programs, but maybe like, like me, uh, working with families, I've, I've seen it in real life. And, and you, think, uh, you, you think you can identify with that when, when you're there in front of a family member who knows um, their son or daughter or grandson, is their, their life is over. It's just hard. The consequences are really, really hard. I say all of this because I'm trying to paint a picture and, and human words can adi- cannot adequately do it of how God feels about the consequences of sin on us. And that's the last thing I wanna say is Jesus mourns consequences of sin. He does because he understands what it's like to be weighed down with sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, we see this in Matthew 26, verse 39, that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. There it is, Jesus mourned, didn't, didn't he not, right there. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Can I tell you what's happening here? Jesus is about to go to the cross in which he took upon himself all of the sins of the world that had ever happened and will ever happen from that point on and this point on. So all of the sins of all of the American citizens who are incarcerated right now came upon Jesus. And all of the angry words you have spoken inappropriately, it it rested upon Jesus. And all of the thoughts that have raced through our mind that we don't know don't please God rested on Jesus. I mean, the sin of the world, the consequences of sin came upon Jesus. And going on, he goes on and he said a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as your will be done. Jesus mourns the consequences of sin because he took sin. He took it upon himself. I'm so glad we have a savior who loves us that much, aren't you? He's amazing. I wanna ask the ushers to begin to prepare. We're gonna take corporate communion here to close this service. And none of you have to take communion. You can just let it pass. But all of you are welcome to. You don't have to be a member of this church, a covenant partner. If you believe in Jesus Christ, uh, you're welcome to take communion with us. Uh, you can hold the bread and cup, and then I'm gonna come back and pray in a few minutes with us. Um, and then before we take it, we're all going to repent because we wanna take communion in a worthy manner that pleases the Lord. But before we do that, I've gotta share three more scriptures with you. And these scriptures are written in your outline, but this is the hope. And it's, I want you to take these scriptures. I want you to go back to your Bibles and you know, for those of you who always use a digital Bible now, go back and find one of those leather or paper Bibles, dust them off and get a pen. And I want you to look these scriptures and I want you to underline them or write down these dates because I'm gonna give you three incredible scriptures that are gonna bless you today. 
Because Jesus said this, blessed are you when you mourn for you will be comforted. And so as sure as God's word is true, God has a promise for you. You may be sad today, but you're not gonna be sad forever. I can't tell you when the morning's gonna break off of you. Could it be today? Yeah, it sure could. Wouldn't that be great? Will it be tomorrow? Maybe. Will it be next year? Maybe. But I know this, as surely as God's word is true, he's gonna break the spirit of mourning off of you. He's gonna break it off of you. You won't be sad forever because he promised in his word, you're blessed if you mourn today because you're not gonna mourn forever. Those who mourn will be comforted. Those who are sad, those who ache, those who are having to pretend like they have it all together when inside they're dying. Listen, you're not gonna be in that state forever. God's gonna come through. God's gonna come through for you. God is going to turn things around for you. Here's the three scriptures. I wanna read them with you before we pray. Psalm 126, four through six. Here's a great song. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourse in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Going on, it says this. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seeds, a word picture of sowing mourning, He will come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. It's a great, great word picture. Psalm 30, verse four through five, says it this way. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Can I remind you that your night may be dark right now, but your night won't last forever. Morning is on its way. Uh, There is coming a new day for you. The mercies of the Lord are new every single morning. And we know this now, that uh, we we have learned this from, from, I suppose, scientists or meteorologists, whatever the category is, that the darkest time of night is right before the sun comes up again. So even if you're at the darkest point, you're like, I'm at the darkest point I've ever been. Don't give up because the sun may be right over the horizon. I mean, it may may be breaking through the next moment. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the word. Hold on to the promises. Don't let go. Don't let go because God promised if you're mourning that he will comfort you and that it's only gonna last for the night. The morning is coming back. The early morning, the new days, to be more clear on that. Here's the last scripture, and we're back to the book of Revelation. I love this. Revelation chapter 21, verse three. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Look at this. Death will no longer exist. Isn't that good news? Grief, crying, pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And Jesus goes on to say this. The one who's seated on the throne says, look, I am making everything new. I am faithful and true. Isn't that wonderful to know, guys? Hey, that's the hope. That's the hope. It's gonna get better through Jesus. You will be comforted. Though you mourn today, you will be comforted. Let's pray together. God, as we're coming before you, come on, ushers, let's just come down. We just commit this time of communion to you. We ask, Lord, that as we meditate 
on your greatness. You would expose sin in our life and that you would bring the comfort of your Holy Spirit. Pray that as Beth ministers this song to us, that our eyes would be lifted to heaven where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake. 